So if I were to ask you this morning, does God answer prayer, what would you say? If I were to ask you when God answers prayer, you would probably say according to his will and his time. But if I were to ask you, how does God answer prayer? You might have to stop and think a little bit about that question and the answer to that question. How does God answer prayer? Well, a very wise person might say, I have no idea how God answers prayer. And that would be a correct statement, except for Daniel chapter 10. Because in Daniel chapter 10, we learn something about prayer and what we call angelic agency. That is, how God uses his messengers, for that is what the word angel means, how God uses his messengers to answer prayer. Now, I have experienced God answering prayer through his earthly messengers, that is, Christians, one another. I've even seen God answer prayer through those who are not Christians. He can do that, right? I think of Nebuchadnezzar, and I can think of Cyrus the Persian and different historical figures that God has used over the centuries to answer prayer. But wait a minute. If I were to say, how does God answer prayer? You'd have to stop and definitely acknowledge that at times, and maybe more often than we realize, God uses his heavenly messengers, which we call angels or archangels, to answer the prayers that we pray to the Lord. Can God answer prayer without angels? I'm sure of it. But there's an order in the universe, and God established that order, and he created the universe, and on the seventh day, he rested. And sometimes God does miracles where he exerts his creative power and genius and creates something out of nothing. But generally, God works within the laws that he created in this universe. And one of the ways behind the scenes, interdimensionally, that God answers our prayers is to send angels... But here's the thing, our prayers are resisted, and many times they're resisted by evil forces, spiritual forces, wicked forces in the heavenly realms, which is to say, as God has his messengers, Satan and the forces of darkness have theirs. So there is this great war between the forces of good and the forces of evil in the universe. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, why doesn't God just end that war? Well, he will. There is a war here on earth between the forces of good and evil. And God will end that as well. But for now, we are living in an age at a time where the forces of good on earth and in heaven and the forces of good and evil on earth and heaven are waging war. And we have to acknowledge that when God answers prayer, There is a resistance, an evil resistance to that prayer being answered. And what we'll see in Daniel chapter 10 is that God is always victorious and he always answers prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you that we've gathered here as a church family to be in your word and to learn something about not so much the future at this point, We'll learn a lot about the future, Daniel's future, our past, in the coming studies. But for today, we're learning something about prayer. In fact, there's so much about prayer in the book of Daniel, maybe more about prayer than prophecy. And Lord, we ask that as we study your word, you would speak to our hearts about the importance of prayer. 
and that you would show us in your word, not according to my opinion or someone's ideas, how you answer prayer from heaven on earth. For when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, we're praying for you to do your good work, not only in our hearts and in our lives, but in this world and for eternity. And so touch our hearts, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 10 is such an interesting chapter because we seldom are given such insight into the way that God works through his heavenly messengers. And we will learn a lot about angels, although that's not really the theme of this chapter. If you remember the theme of the book, you'll remember the theme of this chapter, the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, and that is what we learn in Daniel chapter 10. Let's look at verse 1. We read that in the third year of, of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Now, I've already shared with you that there is a great war in heaven taking place right now around us interdimensionally. That's not just the only war, though. There were great wars that would take place from the time of Daniel on and through our lives and continue to take place in our world. Both spiritual and earthly, we see a war between good and evil. Some of the best movies and stories and books are written capturing this concept of a war against good and evil. That's because the truth is that good is challenged by evil on every front. Our nation today. You can't look at what's happening in our world and not see the forces of evil. Now, they think they have power right now. It's interesting, whenever the forces of evil are given some degree of power, they always blow it. They always eat their own. They always destroy one another because chaos never brings order. So sometimes the best thing to do, well, the absolute best thing to do is to trust God. Amen? But sometimes the best thing for us to do is not only just trust God, but just let it be. Not to quote the Beatles, let it be. You see, here's the thing. You let things happen according to God's will, and you get God's results. Oh, but I don't like what God is doing. He didn't ask. God is sovereign. That means he'll sometimes allow very evil and wicked people to appear to be in control. To appear to get the victory. And then you learn within a few years that that victory wasn't so much a victory for them as it was a victory for God, a victory for good. Because there's one thing I'm sure of at this moment, there are a lot of people who regret the way they voted in the last election. But they have an opportunity to vote more properly in the next two. So here's the thing. I know that God is in control. Even if those elections don't go the way that I want them to, or I think they should, it doesn't really matter. What matters is God is in control. Here's what Daniel's learning. He writes in this chapter, actually through the remainder of this book, of revelation. He shares a revelation and a vision that he received. Now, we won't get to that actual vision or revelation today, but he did see something in the heavenlies that is a revelation in and of itself. He received this vision during the third year of Cyrus's co-regency with his uncle, Darius the Mede. And of course, this is about 536 BC, three years after, two to three years after the vision of Daniel chapter 9. 
That's when Daniel realized that the time was coming up where the 70 years would be over and the children of Israel, the the people of Judah, could return to Jerusalem and return to their land, rebuild their temple, restore their city. The process that Jeremiah had predicted was about to begin. But here we are now, three years later, two to three years later, the 70 years are over. It's now time for them to return to God's blessings in the land. And unfortunately, people get comfortable. Have you noticed that? People tend to get comfortable, even in a sinful situation. I think one of the problems in our world today is for many decades, good, conservative Christian people got comfortable. They were building their kingdoms and not really thinking so much about the world we live in. They would say things like, live and let live, not to quote Paul McCartney, right? Live and let live, just, just, let, just let everybody do what they're doing. It doesn't concern us. I can homeschool my kids and go to my church and live in my little Christian community, and I'm not so worried about what might take place outside my door. How did that work out for us? Not very well. You can hardly use a bathroom anymore without being confronted with the perversion of our culture. And that's just the signs outside the bathroom. So what we need to realize, what we need to understand is that many times good and godly people get comfortable. They're not praying for God's will. And then they're shocked and surprised when we get the devil's will, when we get darkness on the throne. So this is the fifth time that Daniel had received visions, the fifth and final time, at least in this book. Again, this happened after the events recorded in chapter 6. So these are some of the last things that we have recorded that Daniel experienced. Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar by the Babylonians, that was his Babylonian name, had been serving as prime minister to Darius for the last two to three years in Babylon. But Cyrus the Persian was the emperor of the Persian Empire. So Darius is the king of Babylon, but he serves underneath or below Cyrus the Persian. Now Daniel's about 80 to 90 years old testifying that the message that was revealed to him was true and concerned a great war, which we've talked about already. And the understanding of the message was revealed to him in this vision as well, and he tells us that in verse 1. Then we get to verses 2 and 3. We find out that Daniel had been fervently seeking the Lord for three weeks when he receives this vision. Three weeks of fervently serving the Lord in prayer and fasting, mourning, crying out to God, which he'd been doing really on and off for maybe most of the 70 years. And certainly three years earlier when he received the vision of chapter 9. We read that at that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks and I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So that is, he was in prayer, he was just not really feeding his flesh or doing anything for himself other than crying out to God. He was mourning. Why was he in mourning? You know, we we read over that, and we don't really stop to ask the question, why was Daniel mourning? I mourned for three weeks. I just shared with you that this was the time that they could return. The proclamation had been made by Cyrus the Persian. The, The children of Israel should be on their way out of Babylon and back to their home in Jerusalem and Judea. But he's mourning. He's mourning. Isaiah had prophesied that a man named Cyrus, this is like 150 years earlier, a man named Cyrus would in fact proclaim that they could return to their home. 
and Cyrus had done that. And few of the Jews were planning to return to Israel to rebuild their temple. Very few even wanted to go. Many of the Jews had not been seeking or serving God during the last 70 years of captivity. Remember, many years earlier, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were really the only three that didn't bow? So you see, the heart of the people had become filled with worldliness and idolatry and different problems that they had, and most of the Jews refused to leave that pagan culture of Babylon for the challenges in Jerusalem, the way that many of the church refused to stand up to the powers that wanted to destroy us during the pandemic. How did that work out for them? Not so good. Well, for certain churches, it didn't work out very well. I don't know, I'm not going to pass judgment, but I think those churches and those church organizations that bowed to the government, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. But as they bowed, they found out what happens when you bow to foreign power, when you bow to anyone but God. They found out what happens when you look to government and not to God. So for those of us who've looked to God and not government, we're experiencing God's blessings. Can I hear an amen? Both in our church and our families. Oh, our world is in a mess, but wait a minute, God is still in control. So here's the thing, most of the Jews refused to get out of that culture. Jerusalem, the holy city of God, still lay in ruins. It was in desperate need of rebuilding. But no one was getting up to say, wait a minute, there's work to be done. You know, Bill, before he came up to do announcements, mentioned to me that uh, Mike, who's our director of operations, uh, he said that, you know, we could use a little help in operations. Isn't that true? So I thought to myself, well, I'll mention it in the message. There's always work to be done in the kingdom, and not all of it is teaching Sunday school classes or cleaning up after the service or leading Bible studies. There's work to be done. Tell you what, next Saturday we're we're painting two of the classrooms. If you like painting, please let me know. could use a couple extra hands. We don't need a, a thousand people, but a handful of people would be very helpful. Moving furniture, prepping walls, that kind of stuff. If you're interested, we could use the help. Why do I mention that? Because there's always room in the kingdom of God for people to help out. For people to do the things that God is calling us to do. God doesn't just send angels. Wouldn't it be nice? One of the stories I remember as a kid, the shoemaker, remember, and the elves? Or am I the only one that read that? Where the shoemaker had all these shoes to make, and in the middle of the night, these elves showed up and did all the work. I don't know why the elves knew how to make shoes, but they did. I wonder if they were pointy on the end. So here's what happens. He shows up, the cobbler shows up, and all the shoes are made. Wouldn't it be nice if that happened? One time I was coming into the church, and I had just gone to Costco, and my car was full. I always go to Costco. I come in from Costco, my car is filled, and, 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 and somebody sees me, and they go, oh, you're the one that brings that stuff in there? I say, well, the elves don't deliver. There's always work to be done in the kingdom of God. And what's great about this is you don't need any prior experience to serve God and his people. So operations is just one opportunity here at our church, and we love to have the help if you're interested. But here's what I got to say. When God calls you to something, he equips you for something. See, as I have just kind of stood up and done the things that God has called us to do over the years, God has equipped me to do them. But if God hasn't called you to do it, you don't do it. So it's not for everyone. We understand that. But it was for everyone to return to Jerusalem. 
God had made that clear through many a prophet. In fact, for years they didn't want to leave Jerusalem and God took them into captivity because they were wicked. Some of the Jews went to Egypt. They sort of disappeared, but some of the Jews came to Babylon and they were there for 70 years. And now Daniel, who really is their, their representative in this empire, is, is making it clear to his people. Cyrus has said, we can go home. Why aren't we going home? Why are we doing the work that God has called us to do? Now, that's a question you have to answer for yourself. I know I'm doing what God has called me to do. I oftentimes do more than I should, but I try to do what God has called me to do. And when I'm doing something that he hasn't called me to do, it becomes immediately apparent that I'm not called to do it. But all of us are called to do the work of the Lord. And Daniel was trying to get the people to see that. And he was mourning because people were very comfortable. Now, there are sometimes churches that pay a staff to do all the work. And I've often thought, well, that's a nice idea. But here's the problem with that. According to the Bible, the leaders are supposed to equip the people of God in Ephesians 4 to do the work of the ministry. See, our job is to equip you to do the work. We do the work together. So here's Daniel mourning because the work wasn't getting done. Now, I'm not saying that's the case here at our church. The work gets done. But maybe you have a part in it. He was interceding on behalf of his people Israel, probably only drinking water and eating vegetables during these three weeks. You know, it's interesting. He returned to the same spiritual and physical preparation that he had chosen years ago back in chapter 1. Verses 8 through 21, that's exactly what he asked uh, the king's guard to do, to let him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have that opportunity to just eat vegetables. No choice food. That fast back then had prepared him to receive God's blessings right at the beginning of his life in Babylon some 70 years earlier. But this fast at the end of his life was preparing him to receive even greater revelations in the future. Are you preparing your heart for what God may want to do in and through your life? Through prayer, through fasting, if necessary. Well, then Daniel records the vision that he received. And we're going to start with the the part about the vision, or the part of the vision, that has angels interacting with Daniel. And it's fascinating as we read. Let's start by reading just verse 4 and 5 and 6. Yeah, those three. We read that on the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river Tigris, the Tigris. And I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. And his body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. That's a pretty impressive vision. In fact, it's so impressive and so much like Revelation chapter 1's description of Jesus that some people have thought maybe this is Jesus. But it's not. But you see, should it be any surprise to us that God's messengers reflect the glory of God? Should it be a surprise to us when people look at your life and say, you know who you remind me of? You remind me of Jesus. You you don't really want people to come up and say, you know who you remind me of? Who's that guy with the horns and the pitchfork? (laughs) You want to remind people of Jesus. So this angel is very similar in description, not exactly the same, to the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. 
But this vision took place on the 24th day of the first month. While he's standing on the bank of the Tigris uh, River, he is actually receiving a vision. He's not asleep. He's awake, but he receives this vision. He sees a man dressed in linen, belt of finest gold around his waist. He says he looked like a man, but he was clearly an angelic messenger because I've never seen any human being like this. His body was shining like a precious gemstone and his face was like lightning. His eyes shone like flaming torches. His arms and legs gleamed like polished bronze. That's quite a description. And his voice thundered like the sound of a multitude. Now here's what we learn in in verses 7 through 10. We learn this. I, Daniel, he says, was the only one who saw the vision. So this didn't actually happen in our space-time continuum. This is something where Daniel was transported in a vision to see something that no one else could see. But I want to share with you that this is happening all around us. Whether you can perceive it or not is whether or not God gives you the eyes to see. Now, there are animals that have eyes that can see better than we can. They see different spectrums of light. They can see farther. They can, they can see better, clearer. I think of birds of prey. And those are just created eyes, eyes that God designed and created that are specific to a purpose. There are some people here that are colorblind. There are some people here that can see better than others. I'm wearing glasses. Some of you are not. But here's what we do know. God can give you eyes to see something interdimensionally, something that happens within our universe, but something that's not perceivable. Now, what does that mean? Well, wait a minute. Uh, Maybe you know this, but actual matter in the universe, the, the fabric of matter has more space than anything else. In fact, I heard it said that if you were to compare the distance between the proton and the electron in a hydrogen atom, that if you blew them up to the point where you could see them, the distance between them would be roughly the distance of the United States from New York to L.A. It's a lot of space. So everything solid, all the matter in our universe, has more space in it than it has actual solid matter. What does that tell you? There's plenty of room for interdimensionality within our created universe. So Daniel's given eyes to see something that may very well be taking place around us even today. We can't see. It doesn't mean it's not real. Infrared light, ultraviolet light is real. You may not be able to see it, but it's real. And angels are real. And this is what we're seeing that Daniel was able to see and describe for us. Notice the others that were there were terrified. Why were they terrified if they couldn't see it? That's a good question, right? What were they terrified of? Well, they didn't see the vision of the angelic messenger, but they may have been terrified by a great sound or a bright light, the way that those that were with Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus on the way to Damascus, they were terrified too, and they didn't see the risen Christ. Or, this is quite possibly the truth, Daniel's physical reaction to the vision he received may have terrified them. Just seeing how he responded may have terrified them. But in either case, Daniel's the one that's given the eyes to see. He's terrified by the presence of this angelic messenger. And uh, as we go through that, it, it goes on to say, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. 
And then it goes on to say, so I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. So you can see that might freak them out a little bit. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. And a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So that's the experience. That's the experience. Terrified by the presence of this angelic messenger, it makes me think of the angels that we imagine, like Raphael's angels or these little cherubs or Cupid or something like that. That's not this. This is terrifying. He was physically distressed by this great vision. He fell into a deep sleep, his face to the ground at the sound of the angel's voice. This is just an angel. This isn't the Lord himself. And yet, this is the effect it had on Daniel. He was on his face until the angel touched him and set him trembling on his hands and knees. This is nearly wiping him out. You know, for a long time, back in the 80s and then into the 90s, there was a practice that was referred to as being slain in the spirit. And as, as being as kind as I can, it's nonsense. And what people would come forward and someone would kind of almost hypnotize them into falling over. Oh, pastor, it was real. I experienced it. Okay. Can I be a New Jersey pastor today and just say, yeah, right. I think people get caught up in emotional experiences and then they get pushed down, they fall, and and they think, oh, this is such an experience of God. I always wonder, because then, you know, in some churches, they'll run up and they'll cover the ladies' legs for their skirts. I'm thinking, well, if God can knock them over, God can keep their skirt down too, right? No, we got to help God with that. See, I see these things. It's just me. I'm built like this. So I, I look at that and I think, can God slay you in the spirit? Yeah, that's, that's kind of what it looks like. But notice when the angel touched him, he was strengthened. He was slain by God's presence, if you want to use that term, but he was refreshed by the touch of an angel, a messenger. See, what should be happening is people falling down in the presence of God and God's people coming up and helping them up. But I'll leave that for now. Now, he had been similarly affected by visions before. In fact, Isaiah and Ezekiel were also affected in this way by God's presence. John the Apostle, as we'll see in our studies in Revelation in a few weeks, had a very similar reaction to the revelation of Jesus. Very similar. So what do we learn? When you're in the presence of spiritual things, don't expect to walk away unscathed. In fact, Wouldn't it be sad if an experience of God or one of his messengers like this were to happen to you in a vision and you just said, yeah, it was okay. I'm kind of unimpressed. Well, he's told by the angelic messenger that he had been sent to him in response to his prayer. In verses 11 and 12, we read, he said, that is this angel, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Notice he didn't knock him down, he stood him up. And then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Why did you think he might have said that? Well, he was very afraid. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Well, the first thing I want to do is go back to that question I asked, how does God answer prayer? I can answer that from God's word, through his messengers. Sometimes earthly, sometimes heavenly, but he, through his messengers, he answers prayer. 
You can't dispute that. The angel just told us, I've come here in response to your prayer to God. So how does God answer prayer? Through angels. If you want to use a word that maybe explains a little further, through his messengers. Are you his messenger? Can God answer prayer through you? Oh, not in the heavenlies, but in the earthlies? Is it fair to say that there are times where God answers prayer through us? Maybe in meeting a need, as we talked about before. Maybe in ministering to a person. Maybe in teaching God's word, leading a worship service, teaching little kids in VBS. Our kids had a great time this last week. And and some of your children have gone to various different VBSs in the area, Vacation Bible Schools. And and I hope the experience was good because it's great. We'll start up Calvary Kids again in the fall, but for now our kids are getting together. You know, those things take a lot of work. You think God might work through those heavenly messengers? I say heavenly messengers because you know what? To do a job like that, you have to be inspired by God. But they're earthly messengers inspired by heaven to do the work of the ministry here on earth. And that's how God answers prayer. Amen? Amen. So I can answer that question from God's word. You see, the angel assured Daniel of something that we need to be reminded of. Daniel, look at, look at again verse 11. You are highly esteemed. You are highly esteemed. This is the second time we've talked about this in this book. Daniel was highly esteemed. God liked Daniel. God loves you. And he approves of our lives when our lives are lived for him. And it brings him joy. I think it should be our heart's desire, our life's goal, to be esteemed by God, not just loved by God. God loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. But are you esteemed by God? That is, is your life lived in a way that brings God glory? Because if it does, then you are esteemed by God. God thinks highly of you and your behavior and your character. Are you perfect? No. But you're esteemed by God. Daniel was esteemed by God. Highly esteemed by God. And the angel encouraged Daniel to consider carefully his message and to stand up on his feet. You know, it doesn't do the kingdom of heaven any good for people to be lying around on the floor, slain in the spirit. There's a time to be in awe of God, and there's a time to get up and do the work of the ministry. That time is now, in people's lives. Well, the angel encouraged that, and he stood Daniel up, trembling. Daniel's still terrified by this vision. See, the angel had been sent on the first day that Daniel fervently sought the Lord. The first day he started praying, angel took off. Why did it take so long for the angel to get there? We'll get to that in just a minute. Was it a really long distance? Did he have to catch a train? No. There is hindrance and resistance to prayer. But prayer is answered immediately. Always. See, God may choose to answer that prayer at a later date, but he answers it immediately. The plan for the answer to that prayer is already cataloged. It's already written down. You know what's going to happen. God knows what's going to happen. If he reveals it to you, you know what's going to happen. But here's the thing. It happens in his time and according to his will. But please never say, maybe someday God will answer my prayer. Never say those words. First of all, God answers prayer. Amen? God answers prayer. Let's add to it immediately. Amen? 
But wait, well, why does it take so long? That has nothing to do with whether or not God answers prayer. He answers prayer immediately. But there was a three-week delay in Daniel receiving this vision. We talked a little bit about that last week, why prayer sometimes seems to take a while, but actually is answered immediately. So, the angel had been sent on the first day. Daniel had set his mind to gain understanding as he was mourning for Israel's future because he was duly unimpressed with what was taking place in the hearts of God's people in Babylon. Daniel had humbled himself in prayer as he interceded on behalf of his people Israel. And the angel shows up to say, we got a plan. God has a plan. And he's going to show him the plan, and we'll deal with that next week. But the plan had everything to do with Israel being back in the land. And when we read it, that's where you'll find Israel. So in that regard, the prayer really shares with Daniel, or the result of the prayer, the vision that he receives as a result of prayer, really brings the answer to his prayer and says, Daniel, you got nothing to worry about. God is sovereign. Amen? But before we get to that, a few more things about this interaction with the angel. The vision reveals to us what he received here with this angel. reveals to us that the Lord sends angelic messengers in response to our prayers. Now, if you're not much of a person of prayer, I often wonder what happens. You go through a trial and you start to pray and one of the angels responsible for responding to your prayer say, Whoa! I've been on vacation for three years. I haven't had to respond to one of these prayers in years. He's praying again? What happened? Or you could be like the angel that responded to Daniel's prayer, which is like, man, I need help here. This guy prays so much I can barely keep up. Now, I'm being a little silly to make the point. How busy are the angels answering your prayers? Remember, God answers prayer, amen? And he answers prayer immediately. The question is, are you praying? Are you praying? We talk about doing the work of the ministry, but the real work is to believe, Jesus said. And we get that work done mostly through intercession and prayer. But God sends his angels. Now, God heard Daniel's prayer on the very first day he prayed. But Daniel continued praying to God until he received an answer. So if you haven't received the answer that's already been given that you haven't received yet, keep praying. Just keep praying. God was clearly aware of his determination to understand what was happening to Israel. God was aware. Daniel refused to settle for less than a complete and total understanding of God's plan. Sometimes people will say this to you. God works in mysterious ways. Now, I understand the sentiment of what they're trying to say. God sometimes works in ways we don't understand. Might be a better way to say it. But mysterious, really? Because when I look at the answers to prayers in the Bible, they're not that hard to figure out. I don't know if he works in mysterious ways. Sometimes his ways are beyond understanding. But Daniel would not hear of it. Daniel was a discerner of mysteries and a solver of riddles, and he just wouldn't settle for anything less than a complete and total understanding of God's plan. And I give him a lot of credit because many of us are too often willing to settle for, I'm not really worried about it. I know God's just got it taken care of. And that's faith to be able to say that. But that wasn't good enough for Daniel. Daniel wanted more information. Do you want more information? Say amen. I hope you do, because when we get into the book of Revelation, God is going to reveal not only himself, but some of the things that will happen in the future. And you're going to need understanding. In fact, the, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 that those that read the words, hear the words of that book, will receive a special blessing. 
if they read and understand those words. They'll be blessed. You want to be blessed? Amen. That's what you say, amen. Come on, guys. I know we don't knock people over in the spirit, but you can say amen. You'll get another chance, I'm sure. Well, God recognized Daniel's heart for his people. Daniel didn't demand anything from God. You know, I hear pray, Lord, we insist. Lord, we demand. We command. What? That's not humble. That's not humility. Don't demand anything from God in prayer. Ask, Jesus said. Seek. Well, God heard his prayers three weeks earlier and immediately sent this angelic messenger. And Daniel continued to pray, and he expected an answer from God eventually. And that really is how we pray. And that's how God answers prayer. But let's continue. This is fascinating. Look at verse 13. And now we got another question. What took so long? That's a logical question you should be asking in verse 12. What took so long? Now, some of you would be happy if your prayers or you receive the answer to your prayers in three weeks. That'd be nice. If someone said to you, you pray in three weeks, God's going to reveal the answer to your prayer. You'd start praying right now. And then you would put a reminder on your iPhone that three weeks from now, you can expect that answer. But we should pray like that all the time, expecting an answer. Here's what happens in verse 13. Kind of fascinating to me, at least. Uh, it says this, but this, this is the why it took so long. The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And you might look at that and say, the king of Persia is Cyrus. The king of Persia, Cyrus, he's the one that said they could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. But wait a minute. I got to read that again. Did that say the king of Persia? Yes. But it also said the prince of the Persian kingdom. It's clear to me that we're not talking about Cyrus or Darius the Mede. We're talking about spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. As the book of Ephesians says, Spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6. So there are spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Yes. Bible says so, and here we see so. So as we read, as we learn here in verse 13, he was told by this angelic messenger that this angelic messenger had been resisted by the prince of the Persian kingdom. If this was just some prince or king, he couldn't have resisted the angel. Did you see the description? Who resisted him then? Well, this prince resisted him for the entire 21 days that Daniel was fervently praying. And this must have been, this prince of Persia, a fallen angel seeking to influence Cyrus, the king of Persia, against Israel, working behind the scenes to try to destroy God's people. You don't think that happens today, do you? You think there's a few fallen angels in the White House influencing some of these bozos? Some of these wicked people who come up with some of the most ridiculous ideas that seem to just do nothing more than destroy people's lives, like not controlling the border and having an, a country overrun with a poison called fentanyl. You know, when I was a kid, drug dealers wanted to keep their people, their clients, coming back for more. But the devil is so in control of the drug trade today, he doesn't care about any of that. He just wants to kill people. Because there's always someone else willing to line up to die and take this poison into their bodies. People are dying 
by the thousands every day to a poison that apparently there is a fallen angel or group of fallen angels working within our government to allow to get into our country. Have you prayed against it or are you just complaining? You're writing letters, protesting, fine. But have you prayed? Have you prayed like Daniel? You know what, Lord? Send your angels to destroy those wicked angels and those spiritual forces of wickedness that are allowing this poison in our nation. Or allowing the Holocaust of abortion to continue. What, you think that, as much as I love our former president, you think that Donald Trump is the one that brought about the end of Roe versus Wade? God used him? But God sent his angels in response to our prayers. Decades of prayer. So don't give up. God has already answered our prayers. We haven't received all the answers to our prayers. But God has, God has already answered those prayers. We're just waiting to see how he answers them. So are you praying about everything? Inflation. Are you praying about supply chain issues, gas prices? Are you praying? Oh, you, you sound so carnal, Pastor Tim. You're praying about things that really, these things matter. They matter to you. They matter to your families. They matter to our world. Are you praying about them? Oh, I get these letters. Give money to support the war in in Europe. I don't support wars. I pray that wars would end. And it's not about me picking sides either. See, I guess what I'm trying to say is Daniel is praying about these things and God sent a mighty angel and that prayer was resisted by the devil and his fallen angels. So you guys, we need to pray. And I'm not saying, oh, just, you know, you pray, oh, I'm praying for someone, they had a hip surgery or something. No, 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 no. Listen, 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 listen. We pray for all those things. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are recovering from surgery or going through a difficult time or loved ones, elderly people that have fallen. We pray for all those things. Of course we do. But just don't stop there. Pray about the things that are going on in our world and pray like Daniel. Humble yourself and cry out to God and expect mighty results. We'll get there. Maybe it's the nine o'clock service. You guys are like, haven't had your coffee or something. Okay, so, as we consider these things, a few things I do want to say. This fallen angel, Prince of Persia, is referred to as was seeking to influence Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, and of course, for evil against Israel. And this fallen angel may have been trying to prevent Israel's return to Jerusalem. And guess what? It was working. And that's why Daniel's praying. And, and, and during this time, he's helped by Michael. We know about Michael. He's one of the chief princes. And he's helped by this angel. Did you get a look at this angel? Can you imagine what Michael looks like? All right, so Michael, the chief prince... He comes to help this angel who was detained by the king of Persia, or the prince of Persia. And here's the thing. Michael, whose name means who is like God, is perhaps, I would suggest, perhaps the greatest of all God's angels. Here's the thing we know. He's the great prince of Israel. He protects God's people. He's the angel that protects the people of God. This we know 
from this chapter and also chapter 12 of this book. He's also called an archangel. He's powerful enough to rebuke the devil, according to Jude and Revelation. So, pretty significant angel got involved in answering Daniel's prayer. Now, Michael didn't show up, but Michael helped the angel who did show up. Michael assisted him in protecting Cyrus, the king of Persia, from the prince of Persia's influence. This is how God answers prayer. Now, he was going to be told by this angelic messenger what would happen. Look at verse 14. We read there, Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. You know, the one thing that I have to just say, this vision reveals to us that fallen angels, fallen angels can hinder an angelic messenger's response to our prayers. Knowing that, that should inspire you to be more fervent in prayer than you've ever been, and especially now in this dark world. I don't know why, but I know that some angels, some fallen angels, have access to God's throne. Satan, we're told, accuses us before the throne of God, but not forever. World rulers are certainly influenced by fallen angels. Fallen angels seek to destroy Israel, but God's angels protect them, and God's angels protect the people of God. And this one angel shows up with the purpose to reveal what would happen to God's people in the future. And so, verses 15 through 19 tell us, while, Daniel says, while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. And then one who looked like a man touched my lips and opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord. And I am helpless. I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord. And I am helpless. Do you know you're helpless? You're helpless. That's why you pray. Don't say things like, we're going to get this thing done. Pray. How can I, he goes on to say in verse 17, how can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. And again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. He said, peace, be strong now. Be strong. Peace. Do you have peace today? If you're in prayer, you'll have peace. Do you have peace? Are you strong? Do you feel strong? God will make you strong, but it's going to come through prayer. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. This is all about the interaction between Daniel and these angelic messengers. You know, he's still terrified by the presence of this angelic messenger. He again falls on his face before him. He was again physically distressed by the angel's message, unable to say anything. This so drastically affected him. Most people would fall asleep during prayer, not Daniel. He was on his face until the angel touched his lips, enabled him to speak. Notice he was in anguish, he was helpless, he was weak, he was unable to breathe until the angel touched him. You see a heart of desperation in prayer, but you see God responding to Daniel's prayers. And the angel encouraged him and reminded him that he was highly esteemed by God. Did you see that? Did you see it again? Do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed. This is like the third time in this book. 
highly esteemed. He said, peace, be strong. Be strong now. Be strong. You know, I, I get a little angry when I hear pastors telling people that, like Chicken Little, the sky is falling. That's not what the angelic messenger said to Daniel. Be strong now. Be strong. Peace. Do you have peace? Be strong now. Be strong. Can you imagine going into a, a war and not getting one of those Braveheart speeches? What if William Wallace came out on his horse and said, we're probably all going to die today. Have a nice day. Here's the thing. He is strengthened by the angel and he's now willing and able to receive revelation. And then look at verses 20 through the rest of this section into chapter 11, verse 1. This is what we learn So he said, do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. And no one supports me against them. That is the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Oh, now we get an idea of what their job is. To support and protect these world leaders. You see, God has his angels supporting and protecting those world leaders according to his will as well. Be strong now. Be strong. Peace. God is in control. He's told, Daniel's told by this angelic messenger, his purpose in being there. Now, he's about to return, we learned so much here, to fight the prince of Persia, who he had been fighting, And then the prince of Greece would come. He would continue protecting Cyrus, the king of Persia, from the prince of Persia's influence. And then the prince of Greece would come to seek to influence the kings of Greece against Israel. Now, he may or may not have been called to fight against the prince of Greece. But what we do know is that the prince of Greece would come. And we've read all about the prophecies in Daniel that suggest that. God may have commissioned another angel to fight against that fallen angel. He has many angels. But God is in control. But he would first reveal to Daniel what was written in the book of truth. Wouldn't you like to have a copy? This book contains the intricate details of the future as foreseen by God. How could anyone, any God that that we can acknowledge, how could he have a book called the book of truth written that describes every element of history before it's happened? He's God and he's sovereign. That should give you a little encouragement. God doesn't have an eraser on his pencil. You ever thought about that? God wrote it down. It's already predicted. It's already answered. It's already in black and white. It's already written down. We just need to wait to experience it. Now, he had been sent. This angel had been sent to Daniel in response to his prayers for his people. And he's going to tell Daniel what would happen to his people in the future. Michael. The chief prince was the only one that supported him against these fallen angels. This is a heavenly war. This angel had taken a stand to protect Darius the Mede in the first year of his reign in Babylon. This is three years earlier. And this angel would continue protecting Darius the Mede from the prince of Persia's influence. God is in control. God would ensure that Daniel remained in a position of influence to bring about his perfect will. God works through heavenly messengers. He works through earthly messengers like Daniel. Daniel's position as prime minister would be threatened if anything happened to Darius, so God was protecting Darius. 
God was protecting Cyrus. And these angels are able to protect the people of Israel in Babylon during Darius's reign. Brothers and sisters, God's angelic messengers are clearly involved in bringing about his perfect will on earth. You are called to pray. And you are called to work. But we are called to see and experience God's answers to prayer in our lives and in our world. That is how God answers prayer. Are you praying? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We humbly ask, if we can, Lord, we humbly ask that you would hear our prayers today. There are many here who are suffering. There are many here who are ill or recovering from surgery or have loved ones who are, have been injured or, or, or harmed in some way. And Lord God, we certainly lift up all of those individuals we love, our children, the elderly, those who can't be with us today. And we pray that you'd abundantly bless them. And we know it's your will to do so. But Lord, we turn to our nation today and our leaders, and, and nothing would be better than to see the princes, the fallen angels that influence our world leaders defeated by your angels who could influence them for good. Lord, we ask that you would give us leaders that would honor you, that all of the perversion in this world and in our nation and in our culture would be dealt with. Lord God, that you would save us from ourselves, restore godliness to our land, Oh, Lord, we're not like the children of Israel where we need to go back to our land. We're in our land and we, we, we need to go back to where we were when you blessed us. We know all of the problems in our world, at our border and in our culture with crime and drugs and inflation and supply chain. And the list goes on and on of problems in our world. We know that you, you're sovereign. You can deal with all of those things. You only ask us to pray. And so we pray that you would send your mighty angels that you would respond to our prayers today and that we would be consistently praying them for your glory. Lord, save our nation. Heal our land. We ask you to answer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.